it's Nick Katsumpas, and you're listening to my interview on Pop Nerd Lounge. Welcome to Pop Nerd Lounge, the show where we share the stories of creatives to inspire fellow creatives. I'm your host, Steph Pham. We have a very special guest joining us, Nick Katsumpas. Nick is a true plantrepreneur who has dedicated his life to all things green. As a full-time plant coach, urban gardener, and landscape designer, Nick's passion lies in creating a greener world and empowering others to do the same. Today, we have the privilege of diving deep into Nick's green world, exploring his journey, his experiences, and the invaluable wisdom he has to offer. Get ready to be inspired by our incredible guest, Nick Katsumpas. Welcome to Popner Lounge. My guest today is Nick Katsumpas. Nick, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Steph. I'm excited. How did you become interested in plants and what inspired you to become a plantrepreneur? Which, by the way, love that word. <laughs> thank you. Trademarked. Um, so for me, it was actually back in 2014. I had just graduated from college and was set to live a very kind of, you know, corporate America, New York life and was living at home with my parents before my job started in New York City. And my mom, like all good mothers, she was like, you're going to live here rent free. You got to do something around the house. So I said, okay, well, what do you want me to do? And she suggested that I start a garden. She said, you love food. You love being outside. You know, you've never had a plant before, but why not give this a shot? So that's what I did. I went outside, threw some plants on the ground, and immediately just became obsessed. And each year the garden grew more robust. And, you know, three years later, I had this big, big garden in the backyard. And it wasn't until I moved to New York City after those three years at home that I really started feeling the, the almost with, withdrawal of not having green in my life. So I did the only thing that made sense and I bought a hundred houseplants. And that was when I started really understanding like, okay, this is something I need. I need this, this plant life in my own life, in my home ecosystem in order to feel my best. And from there, Instagram started, started sharing some of my photos and videos about plants. And now we're here. Now, from one of your previous interviews, I gathered that you left the corporate world to pursue plants full time. What helped you bridge that gap or that transition? Because I know that a lot of creatives, for them making that transition is really hard to go from having their pursuits be more on the side to making it a full time commitment. So what was that like for you? Transitioning from a very stable, very safe, with benefits corporate job was not easy. And to be honest, you know, I, I had a lot of family members saying, you are crazy. Like, this is wild. But two things. Number one, you know, there is no guarantee that you will get opportunities to do this again, right? There might be a wave. And if you're not ready to catch it, there might not be another wave in your life. And you have to be ready. And for me, that was the first Netflix show I did, The Big Flower Fight, which was in London. And that was kind of the, the kick in the butt I needed to say, you know what, I'm going to quit my corporate job here and, and give this a shot. That's number one. 
And number two was just being realistic and saying, okay, if I, you know, set, I call it like my career shot clock, you know, the shot clock in basketball, right? There's 24 seconds. For me, it was, you know, 12 months. If I can't figure this out after 12 months, I'll go back. I'll, I'll say, hey, this was a nice moment in time. I gave it my all, no regrets, and I'll go back. And giving myself that freedom to really throw myself into it full time for, for 12 months. And I quickly realized after, I was like, oh, I, I'm onto something here. Like, let's keep going. But it, it gave me a very realistic way of viewing life after this. And I'm still always thinking about how I can, can continue to build it and what you know the future is for Farmer Nick. But it certainly helped in the moment really settle things down for me. In that shot clock period that you were talking about, did you develop a tribe or did you find your community of yes people that really supported you in your journey to that path of doing plants full time? Absolutely. You know, there's there's always those few partners who you look back and you're like, all right, those are the people who really stuck by me, whether they are friends in your community or business partners, whoever it might be. So for me, that was Allbirds, it was Nissan, and it was Fiskars. Those were my people. And they said, hey, we love what you're doing. We want to support you. And you're small, right? I had 25,000, 30,000 followers at the time. This is before the show even came out. And they said, we want to support you. And that was awesome. And those are partners I still work with to this day. And having them behind me, both as a partner and also financially speaking, was huge. You know, it gives me a lot of freedom to, to be able to create quality content for free. I don't want to charge people for content because I want people to to make their lives greener. And having really good partners and people behind you that can help you achieve that vision, there's nothing better. So that was awesome on the partnership side. And then just from like a plant perspective side, like I had so many great friends and network in New York and also here in LA, people who care about the environment, who care about plants and growing food and protecting this this one earth that we have that you know, you're all in this together and being a creator can be very lonely sometimes because you're, you're on your own, you're traveling on your own, you are solely responsible for your own business and having others that are going through it is very comforting. But you hinted or you alluded to your vision and I want to know with your mission being to leave the earth greener than when you found it, how did you integrate environmental action and social justice into your work? Mm, great question. And I think they're very related because so many groups that are marginalized and face discrimination and other issues when it comes to equitable living standards in this country are also those that do not have access to nature. The overlap is very high. And for me, that has manifested itself in working very closely with local urban farms in New York and LA and then also doing kind of this urban farm community garden activism around the country. And what that entails is actually I work, I work with Fiskars on this through their Project Orange Thumb initiative where literally they say, Nick, pick four or five gardens across the country that are doing great things in their community. Let's get a volunteer day. Let's donate $15,000 and let's go tell their story. Like what's cooler than that, <laughs> right? And I have traveled as far as Alaska to work with an indigenous group outside of Anchorage on their garden. We have traveled down to Miami and working with Health in the Hood. We have worked with Alma Backyard Farms here in LA, which I still volunteer at every other Sunday. 
And it's such an amazing program, not just to, to have the impact, but also to humble yourself and realize that there are people in so many different areas, walks of life, urban, rural, what have you, that are dealing with the same issue. And that is access to safe green spaces and access to fresh, healthy, nutritious food. I love hearing about that. And what I want to know is uh, how can we practice more gratitude, I guess, for our access to nature? Because I know that not everybody has it. So yeah, how do we practice more gratitude towards that? I think the key is just taking care of your plants in a really good way, in a healthy way. There's nothing that says I'm grateful than someone that cares. And for most that live in cities, be it New York or LA, where I spend most of my time, there is this phenomenon known as plant blindness, where you go throughout your day not acknowledging the plants in your ecosystem, the trees you walk by, the, the plants that you smell. And just taking a moment to say, okay, I'm on my commute to work. It's 15 minutes. How many plants am I going to see on this walk? How many trees am I going to pass by? Am I going to acknowledge those trees? Am I going to just see that differently? And there are times, and I know it's especially for those in New York or more urban cities where your feet may not touch the earth for months. If you're walking on cement, you're walking on wood, you're walking on linoleum, marble, what have you. You might not touch the earth, but to acknowledge the earth and see it starts building empathy. And once you start building empathy, then it's like, okay, now I'm going to start caring about this a little bit more at a broader level. When agricultural and environmental education courses aren't viewed as essential as other classes, why should schools keep them in the curriculum? This one frustrates me <laughs> because it, it's, it's something that, you know, in our lifetimes, we will not see huge positive impact. In fact, most of the damage that we've done to the environment, we're seeing it kind of delayed even, where it's gonna get worse before it gets better. And I think that educating youth, be it at the high school level, middle school level, elementary school level, college level, what have you, is so, so important. Because I didn't know what composting was when I was, you know, 20 years old. I didn't know. And now I look around LA and it's like, oh, kids are composting in schools. And they know like, hey, here's the bin that I take my compost to. And after lunch, these are my food scraps and I put them over here. That is incredible. It's incredible. And I think just making it the norm. Like, oh, this is just what we do. It's not anything flashy. It's not anything crazy. It's not anything super time intensive. This is just what we do. I think that's essential, and it starts with education, as you said. Hey nerds, thank you for sticking around with us. We hope you're enjoying the episodes so far. We're always looking to improve the show, so any and all feedback you can give us is greatly appreciated. We're also constantly on the lookout for creatives to feature, so if you think you'd be perfect or know someone we should speak to, let us know. We can be reached over on our contact page at popnerdlounge.com. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the rest of the episode. Now, you worked with over 150 clients, both in New York and California. Like you mentioned, you spend your time there. What are some common challenges that people face when it comes to creating their own green spaces? And how, you, how do you help them overcome these challenges? Client problems and challenges seem to have no bounds. It's, uh, it's always a battle with pests and you know managing uh, their aesthetic preferences versus what the plant is actually capable of doing in that space. 
people don't kill plants, the wrong environments kill plants. And when we try and force it, bad things happen. So a, a good understanding and education around how plants work is necessary from the jump. And, you know, the, the client problems vary location to location because here in LA, for example, water is a huge issue. We don't have as much. We want to be more conscious of it. And when you go to somewhere like New York where it rains all the time, you're not having to think about it as much as you would out here on the West Coast. So the problems do differ, but a lot of it is education based on your specific region. And some of it is honestly very, very basic. Like we had a client in New York who emailed us and she was upset. And she said, Nick, you planted these trees in the spring. They were beautiful. And now they have no leaves. And we were like, oh boy. I look over at my employee and I was like, I don't think she knows how trees work. <laughs> I honestly think I have to explain what a deciduous tree is. And so in the email, I'm literally writing, well, those trees that we planted are actually deciduous. This means that they lose their leaves in fall and we'll grow them again in spring. Like it is something that I take for, I would never think in a million years I'd have to say something like that, but I did. And you can never underestimate how much someone doesn't know about the surrounding environment. You were on Netflix's The Big Flower Fight. How did participating in that series challenge your creativity? Hmm. It certainly challenged my creativity, given we didn't last too long on that show. But it was really the first time in my life where I've been able to say, you know what, this this project has no client investment. It is all what we want to build. And that's awesome, especially when the plants are free. <laughs> <laughs> because you can kind of play around with it and, and have some fun in a different way. But it's really one of the first times in, in my life as a designer where I, I felt like an artist. And I think design and artistry, they certainly overlap, but they're different things. And I could design a garden for you. I could lay it out. I could know, you know where the plants are going. There is art in that. But to make something purely for the purpose of art versus it being 100% functional in a garden landscape was was really special. Now, continuing the Netflix arc, you were also in Instant Dream Home, which was how I figured out about you. I, I binged that show like in a day, honestly. It was great. It was wonderful. I love that show. And you transformed lives by reshaping and uplifting their environment. So talk to me about how you joined the team and what that experience was like. Instant Dream Home was amazing. I... I'm still very, very close with Adair, Paige, Eric, Danielle, and everyone who was involved. It was just unbelievable. And that was something where, you know, Netflix said, hey, we, we saw you on this other show that we had. We like you. We want you to come in and see what happens. And at that point, I was just kind of building out my landscape and career. It was, you know, still mostly doing edible gardens and houseplants and, you know, hadn't done anything to the scale of what Netflix is doing in 12 hours, right? Like that, I've never had to do a project in, in that short a period of time, but I've also never had 200 people at my disposal at any given time. So it was, it was pretty wild to get asked to do that. And as you mentioned, you know, working with these families who are, are so deserving and so kind and giving back to their community to, to do something for them where we can bring a whole new facade and a whole new look to their house that is delicious. It smells good. It looks great. It has texture to it. Like that 
that was such a gift for me and it was really, really impactful for everyone involved on the team. Now, watching the show, I loved watching the transformations and the big reveal at the end, but I saw that you guys went through some hurdles. What was what would you consider the biggest hurdle that you guys faced on the show? Hurdle was an understatement. Half the hurdles you didn't even see because they, they just not enough time in a 40-minute segment. But it was probably, for me specifically, episode four of the Stovall House where it rained every single hour of that build it was raining and i was just like oh my god this is this is just how am i supposed to do this because in in my normal job right if it rains hey listen we're going home can't do this today especially if we're doing any hardscaping like laying out a patio that was a challenge making that like pitch tent tarp roof to kind of keep the water off was helpful and ended up saving us but you know you're you're battling the elements and there is no other option you either do it or you don't and that episode, I think, probably aged me at least three to five years, but it was certainly worth it after it was done. You are an author, and I want to know, in your book, what was a non-negotiable topic that you wanted to include your book, The Plant Coach, Beginner's Guide to Caring for Plants and the Planet? Great question. For me, it was the connection to the environment. I have always believed and probably will always subscribe to the fact or the theory that plants are stepping stones towards sustainability. If I can convince you to care about that small plant on your desk, I can convince you to care about the big plant we all live on. And I alluded to it before, but the idea of building empathy, you have to get there in stages. So what I try and do, it's, I call it the four E's of environmentalism. It's something I referenced in my TED talk. And I say that exposure to plants leads to excitement about plants. Many people during the pandemic, this is what they experienced. Oh my gosh, look at all these plants. I'm excited about it. Then once you get over that initial excitement, then it's okay. If I am excited about this, I'm now caring about this. I am feeling empathy for this being, this creature, this living thing in my space. It might not be able to talk to me, but I'm still feeling empathy towards it. Once you get that empathy, the empathy leads to effort. What am I going to do now? Because I feel for this thing. And that comes through in my book in almost every chapter. And it is designed to make people think differently and reframe that this idea that plants are living things. It's, it's nature, not furniture. Man, now I'm 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 gonna have to watch that TED talk now because I love how you incorporated the themes of empathy and effort because not only does that link through plants and gardening, but you can apply that to just about every aspect of your life, putting empathy towards people and your work and just like putting that towards effort as well. Empathy leading to effort. Mm. Chef's kiss, man. Write that down, people. Write that down. <laughs> As a plant coach, what do you find most rewarding about helping people develop their own green spaces to connect with nature? When they never call you back. Because if I do my job right, they're not going to have to call me saying, Nick, something went wrong. You know, I can't do it. I had problems here. This and this happened. If they don't call me, they're good. And when they do call uh, and they are doing well, it's usually, hey, 
these houseplants got me hooked. I just bought a house upstate. I want a garden. What do I do now? That's, that's really the moment where I'm like, yes, like this is the stepping stone we want because they start with these houseplants and they start moving on to something bigger and better. And, you know, that is just so fulfilling as a, as a business owner, as a designer, as someone who wants to make the world greener than when I found it. It's just, it's so cool to see them kind of evolve into a new kind of plant parent. To me, that is your, like, if you give, if you teach a man to fish, he can eat for a lifetime. That's kind of like that moment for you, I believe. Like, if you, if you educate them and if you guide them, like, they will love plants and they will continue to incorporate that aspect in their life, like, for many years to come. So I love that. Absolutely. One of my on one of my Instagram scrolls, I saw that a mother said that gardening was a form of therapy for her anxiety and depression. And in your vast experience, how have you seen plants and gardening benefiting mental health? I just look at my own life. You know, I was living a very fast-paced life in New York City, very typical of many young 20-year-olds coming out of college, and I couldn't relax. I couldn't figure it out. And plants allowed me to find meditation. And I can't sit down and cross my legs and close my eyes and listen to calming music. I cannot do it. But I could be in the garden and just listen to the sounds of the garden as I'm working for hours. And it's slow. It's really slow. You cannot speed up plants. You put that seed in the ground and you have to trust that what you're doing is making an impact because you can't see what's happening. And that's such a beautiful metaphor for life, right? We, we want to, you know, improve learning a language. We want to go to the gym and get fitter. We want to do all these different things. And all that work we put in, oftentimes you will not see the result for many weeks, months, if not years. And some plants are the same way. You know, you might plant that tree and hope it has an apple on it, but you might have to wait five years before that happens. You just have to keep sticking with your process. And teaching that patience and calming me down was just the biggest blessing from the plant world. How do you envision the future of sustainable gardening and plant care? And what role do you hope to play in shaping the future of it? Cool. I hope I have a big role. <laughs> I, I really am, am focusing right now a lot of my efforts on building out an e-course for kids, an education for youth so that they can start interacting with plants in a different way. And it's not, you know, you know, hey, here, answer these questions. Here's what plants do. But making it funny, making it different, making it something where, you know, if they, if they have never experienced a plant before and parent hasn't experienced the plant before, can they watch this video and laugh and say, you know what, that was actually really good. I enjoyed that irrespective of you know, the content that was in it. And, you know, sometimes it means I'm dressing up as a plant and pretending to talk to my human and trying to figure things out, right? There's so many things you can do that kind of, you know, mix it up a little bit and, and just take people on a journey and tell a story in a different way. And, and that's my goal right now is get all these little saplings and seedlings out there invested in this space in a whole new way. You know, I, that response reminded me something that you mentioned in your form that you filled out to set up this recording session. And it's that you want to use humor as a way to engage people for environmental action. And I want to know, like, 
having that plat having your platform do you find that like having that that asset of humor like it leads to environmental action because i i love your content i follow you on all the socials and so i want to know like yeah using humor in your platform do you find that it helps you get that message across of environmental action i think so and you know it sounds silly to make a video about falling in love with mulch that you see on the sidewalk right but like if if the humor is the thing that people remember and then they say oh this is what mulch does i didn't thought about that before it's the information out there has not changed in a long long time it's just how you package it and get people to feel something afterwards so if it means i'm being silly and jumping in a pile of mulch in new york city i'll do it if it means that someone's going to remember oh you know what i i should look for some mulch in my garden so i don't have to water as often and i don't have to let the weeds come in and whatever it might be to be able to 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 express that in a way that is relatable fun approachable make people laugh make people smile and do it in a way that it's educational that's the perfect blend to me well nick we are at my final question for you and it's just been an absolute delight to spend my afternoon speaking with you about plants about the environment and i want to know why are you a creative why am i creative Mm. I'm a creative because I feel like it's my responsibility to the planet to, in order to protect the planet and make the planet greener, like my mission says, to present information in a whole new way that helps people understand plants, build empathy for plants, make them excited for plants. If I use my creative powers, which I didn't think I had before, prior to any of this, if I can use this creativity that I have to to inspire action, to motivate someone to do something, that is my driving force behind being a creative. Ladies and gentlemen, Nick, thank you so much for spending this conversation with me, I've had just an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I'm going to turn the floor over to you and I'm going to let you tell our listener where they can find you on social media and anything else that you would like to plug. Thanks, Steph. If you have any plant questions, you can find me at Farmer Nick on Instagram and my website is farmernick.com where you can see some of our landscaping and gardening work. And honestly, if you're debating whether or not to get that plant, go out, buy the plant now put some seeds in the ground, start growing food, do something, go out, hug a tree, whatever it takes to just be in nature. Special thanks to Nick for being this episode's guest. If you want to learn more about Nick, visit the links in the show notes. Popner Lounge is executively produced by Vico and Steph Pham. Vico serves as the creative director and Steph Pham is the host and editor. To find out more information about Popner Lounge, visit our website, popnerlounge.com. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you join us next time for another conversation with a fellow creative. I'm your host, Steph Pham. <laughs>